0: Welcome to Story Smack. Hello, my name is A Kovacs, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name
1: is Scott Ziegler, best-selling novelist and
0: And this is episode 32 of Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. In this episode, we are finally going to talk about something that isn't exactly a is a movie, isn't a movie sort of sort
1: of not. But is also. We're talking about the career of John Williams, the master composer behind more film scores than you probably realize. I mean, it's not like you know
0: or like the music of Star Wars. Or the original Lost in Space TV series. Or settings. the
1: disaster classics, the Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake, and the Towering Inferno. Or how about Jaws?
0: Do- Do- no. Do- 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 no. Do- or. Yeah, close encounter. Yes. Or the 1978 Superman might be a little before some people's time, but well, was my what? first superhero go, movie.
1: Go back and watch that Cheese Fest cuz mm-hmm. that is the Superman
0: or Indiana Jones, indeed. Yes, and yes. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think that was. But yeah. what about the I don't know, like the theme from 18? Oh,
1: the bike riding theme, or mm-hmm. Jurassic Park, <laughs> or Schindler's List, or Harry Potter, or Home Alone, or Saving Private Ryan. And the list
0: really, really does go on and on. It boggles the mind to think that there is this one person primarily responsible for some of the most enduring songs and melodies and little sound bits Mm -hmm. of the 20th century and And, the 21st 21st century. century. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And since this podcast is about stories and storytellers, this it's, I think this fits in really, Mm -hmm. really nicely. And Mm -hmm. John, Williams is clearly, clearly a huge storyteller. We started,
1: we got on this because uh, my podcast partner, A Real Girl herself, got me a cool Christmas present, a year's membership in the American Film Institute, or AFI. Uh, tell you what they're all about from AFI.com. Quote The American Film Institute is America's promise to preserve the heritage <laughs> of the motion picture, to honor the artists and their work, and to educate the next generation of storytellers. As a nonprofit educational arts organization, AFI provides leadership in film, television, and is dedicated to initiatives that engage the past, the present, and the future of the moving image arts.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. So, uh, part of that membership, other than the uh, the movie trailer guy voice yes. or the Masterpiece mm-hmm. Theater voice, which I think also came as a perk, yes, was uh, a DVD for the fortieth or for, I'm sorry, forty fourth uh, AFI life achievement award. Mm -hmm. And the 44th went to John Williams. Yes. And, uh, he was the very first composer to be given that award.
1: He was, I think he's the only non-producer, non-actor to be given that award. So it's, it's going to, but former recipients. Now the AFI lifetime achievement award is a really big deal. Um, Think of it like Oscars on steroids, I guess. Former recipients include John Ford, Orson Welles, Gene Wilder, Sidney Poitier, Meryl Streep, Kirk Douglas, Liz Taylor, Morgan Freeman, Shirley MacLaine, and more. So these are major Hollywood players who didn't have just, you know, one or two hit films. But they put together a body of work that sets the bar for success and influence in the movie business.
0: Yeah. And sadly, we looked um, for places you might be able to watch this online, and it doesn't appear to be available right now. Mm. But keep your eyes open as it's rebroadcast from time to time. Is This uh, DVD that we watched was a freebie as part of the initial AFI membership mm-hmm. package. And it took us a while to watch That's it. Right. The FDO didn't mention, but this was actually his Christmas gift from 2016. So it took us about a year to get to it. Uh, but. Yes. I, we should talk. How was your Christmas? Uh,
1: my Christmas was very good. I did not have to travel to Michigan this year to see the extended clan overlord. So mm-hmm, got mm-hmm. to hang around. Beautiful, lovely San Diego. Look at blue skies, sunny weather. It's been a little bit chilly because I do live in the basement of an old church.
0: Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's a, it's not uh, possible to heat other than no. space heaters and that kind of Technically,
1: thing. Technically, this would be a crypt, right? They put dead people down here, well, right? I think
0: they probably put old paint and ladders down here, and, but
1: dead painted people. <laughs>
0: I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Christmas ornaments. I'm not sure. I did
1: use ladders to kill people in pandemic. So there's that. Yeah, you, you did. A you did. Yeah. But it was, it was, a, it was a wonderful, great Christmas. Um, got to go hang out at your parents' house. Yep, a a spent, bunch of expats yeah. got to go up and do some stuff there. How was mm-hmm. your Christmas, ma'am?
0: It was good. I spent a couple of days up at my folks house, which is, uh, my brother's in town from New York, which is always fun. And, uh, it was busy and I you know, like we had uh, every year we have a few uh, work related kerfuffles, like somebody orders something really special mm-hmm. and you know, priority mail takes a little bit longer. And so it it doesn't quite show up, but those are always uh, surprisingly fun for me because it, it isn't very many that happen, but we try to do whatever we can. And yeah. in one case I could track it and tell it was going to show up today, which it did. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, these are book orders. These are book orders yes. or
0: t-shirt orders or stickers or whatever and okay. from the from the online store. And this woman wrote and said, "Like it was, it was literally the only gift he asked for." Uh-huh. And uh, I said, "Well, we can't send it, but maybe Scott can send your husband a, a email saying mm-hmm. it was our fault." Mm-hmm. And uh, she wrote back and said, "Gosh, that would be awesome. It's not that it's your fault, but that would be great. He would totally love an email. If Scott's his favorite writer. This, this, this. So you did that."
1: Yes. Well, I did not take responsibility. I blamed Santa. That son of a bitch. Oh uh, right. He was getting crocked. Uh, I believe the email said something in fact of, "Santa got drunk." And got behind on his deliveries. And oh, you know Lord who's thanks. responsible, that son of a bitch Rudolph, because that red nose is about more than just light.
0: <laughs> I see. I he's, see. A,
1: he's a lush. So, Rudolph's a lush.
0: So the other, there was, there was only two. There was that email with so a man, I'm guessing in his mid, maybe 30s or 40s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then there was a nine-year-old boy named Alex who wanted something on right, his Christmas I didn't Christmas. swear in that one. Well, when I saw your CC to me, for some reason in my head, I mixed up the two names mm-hmm. and I almost lost my breakfast because <laughs> I thought, oh my God, did you just say that Santa's drunk, but we're going to put him in rehab to a nine-year-old boy? I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> that would that would not have gone well. But anyway, I, so yes, this was actually a gift from Last year. Yes, just last year. It's been, been quite, quite quite da- busy. <laughs> it's
1: been sitting in my inbox for a year. I'm horribly important and terribly busy. <laughs> and I finally got to it.
0: Yeah. Um, but we did. And it I have to say, it was pretty awesome.
1: I mean, I watched it literally out of guilt because it's been sitting there forever. I'm like, I like John Williams' music, he's just fine. I mm-hmm. didn't really realize what a giant big deal he was till I watched this D V D. So just kind of be nice. I'm like, Oh my god, they gave me this present last year and I haven't even looked at it in half my
0: months. Inbox for
1: So we finally scheduled it. And we said, I'm like, okay, well watch this with me. You know, like we'll take a break from work and watch some of these. I feel so bad. I haven't watched it. And then it was, it was ridiculously awesome. It was. And there was a, the broadcast had a big list of guest presenters like Tom Cruise, Mark Hamill, Tom Hanks, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Daisy Ridley. And, uh, one person that completely scoffed at, I saw the list of presenters and it's like, Hollywood producer, Hollywood actor, Hollywood director, and also Kobe Bryant. Oh, right. You (laughs) were
0: not a fan of Kobe being part of this. That's absolutely true. And you totally did, Scott.
1: So snooty. I was so snooty. I'm like, what? Oh, I'm sorry. We're done with basketball. So now we got to rebrand our career. And all of a sudden we're going to be a Hollywood (laughs) player, Mr. Kobe Bryant. Um, And uh, did not. uh, Well, I think we'll talk about that. Maybe we'll talk about that later. Because now I'm very... um, I'm very embarrassed by my reaction.
0: Yes. Well, we can get into that later. Okay. Uh, John Williams is 85 years old and has uh, five Academy Awards. Five. Five Academy Awards. That's the most by any living person. And as of this podcast, he actually has 59. He's tied with Walt Disney for the most, um, no, 58. And Walt Disney is one ahead of him for the most nominations. Okay. And uh, that means he's the, the person living with the most Oscar yes. nominations. And if he gets nominated this year, which he likely will... Uh, maybe for, you maybe know, for Star Wars. Up. Although Walt does have 22 Oscars. Right. But nominations is different than wins. And they're both, they're, it, one is more important, but they're both it's, important.
1: But it's nice just to be nominated. Did you know that Walt Disney's severed head? has a cyborg body that is literally made out of all of the Oscars he has won. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. Oh, and he
0: doesn't have that many. I'll give you, he doesn't have as many Oscars as uh, Walt Disney, (laughs) but he does have other uh, awards, I think, right?
1: Yes, I have my notes here. 22 Grammys, four Golden Globes, and six Emmys. Uh, it's a lot of hardware. So screw you, Walt Disney. He's got more he's got more hardware than you do.
0: <laughs> or more than that. I mean this is really truly a staggering, staggering it's accomplishment. Huge. It's such a huge, huge mm-hmm. thing. Because if you think about it, people all over the world, if you're you know, if you're, I guess not playing charades, but if you want to imitate a shark, you put your hand on the top of your head and go dun 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 dun
1: dun 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 dun
0: John Williams did that to us, which is crazy when you think about it. And
1: like it's ingrained in the culture now. You're right; like that's that is a sound that you make when you're in a pool just to be a jerk among other things. And I mean, I don't know about the younger generation with dun-dun-dun-dun, Right. Dun, and you absolutely da, like, you know.
0: swashbuckle to this, swashbuckle mm-hmm. to that. Yes. Uh, absolutely. And you, whenever there's like a, I don't know, a gumball falls and rolls on the floor and you run away from it. Dun, 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 that is, that is so, so ingrained in our life. It's great. But to be fair, that was my argument earlier in the, in the uh, conversation. I mean, not argument, but that John Williams truly is a Mm storyteller. He gets into our heads and our hearts and changes the way that a story is told to us with, with, in collaboration with the people, the rest of the people making it.
1: Well, music and movies totally go hand in hand. A movie isn't a movie without sound like that's I've read a, a bunch of directors and a bunch of people like the most important thing about a movie is actually surprisingly the sound If the sounds off, no matter how pretty the visuals are. You're completely taken out of the story immediately. You right. can forgive some visuals. If the sound's off, it screws your head in a certain way. And music is a big part of that sound. And William seems to have the ability to to look at a scene and sum up the emotion of that scene and apply music. that can, It's not just background music. It, right, of it course. It takes to the next level.
0: Of course, yeah. And it's interesting because we have um, the setup in the office is such that you you have a surround sound system. So whenever we're watching something for work, I never realized how many different levels of important sound mm-hmm. is to a movie, but there's the sound mix so that like you experience mid-ranges a lot more quietly than I do. Yeah. And I experience those high some of those highs a lot more loudly than you do. You don't hear them very much at all. And so us watching something together for work, this notwithstanding this, this was Mm -hmm. fine. Sometimes is you get blasted out or I get blasted out or you get blasted out or I get blasted. So that's sound mixing. But then there's also sound editing, which is making sure the voices sync up and making sure there's leaves crunching Mm -hmm. underfoot. Mm -hmm. But then there's also this orchestration, which I think is, you know, part one of the beds that that sound editing works with. But it's really, truly, I don't want to say it's another character because it's not, but it's You know, it's, it's as important as the set design and the props and all that other stuff. It's just as moving and storytelling, I think.
1: And you can look at, well, that's the thing. You can look at a set design. Does a set design instill or pull from you a particular emotional response? Sometimes visual art does design, clothing design, car design. There are certain things you can look at and it will elicit some form of emotional response. Not always. But music, particularly orchestrated scored music, mm-hmm. almost inev- inevitably pulls some kind of emotional reaction. out. Of it. it makes you tingle or makes you feel yeah. a certain way. And that's something that that's why the music is, is so, so important in a movie.
0: And in this case, you know, I was thinking about it when we were watching this, like, okay, he's also one of the only known, and that's actually not true at all. As soon as I'm saying it, I'm like, no, of course, Danny Elfman scores tons and tons mm-hmm. and tons of movies mm-hmm. and his sound and his choices are iconic in a different way. And you know, if it's a, this sort of whimsical Tim Burton-esque kind right. of work right. by the sound. And then I think that that's pretty important. But th- one of the stories that, that I, I, that was part of this DVD, but you can read <clears> online too. You can read John Williams talking about it in, in an interview is uh, when he was making the, the score for Jaws. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, is 1978. He's, we're all a lot younger. <laughs> um, and uh, he's trying to piece out what's so important. This first scene when the shark is felt but not seen. Uh-huh. And what he got was if he'd be out in the water all by himself uh, and far enough away from everybody else, it would be real, real quiet and he'd be able to hear his own heartbeat. Mm. And that's the dun dun dum dum-dum-dum. So it's this quiet hum that gets louder as we see the visual of the, bubbles or the water or the moving or the, right. the, the quick um, fin of a shark or whatever, it becomes louder. So it switches from the girl's, w- however you see that, either from the, the girl in the water's perspective to the shark or vice versa, whichever yes. is getting louder at that moment, which I found fascinating because that's why it gets into your psyche as the, the sound a shark attack makes and It's or such
1: a masterpiece of a scene. And it's a scene that without the music would not be the same, but with the music and the direction. It's amazing because young people pull up a knee. Take a knee, everybody. <laughs> Uncle Scott has to give you a little bit of a talking you too. To. You too. Georgia, yes.
0: take a Georgia, knee. Georgia,
1: come on. Just come <laughs> over here, Georgia. Sit down. Take a knee. Georgia, pay attention. Listen, if you have not seen Jaws, if you've never seen it all the way through, you've seen bits and pieces, or you think you know the movie, if you have not sat down and watched it, get it. Uh, watch it well after sunset and watch and make sure you are you have, you tune out everything else, put away the phone, put away the put away the iPad, put away the computer. And <laughs> side note, it was just looking at her phone. Yeah. I said that she quietly put her phone away. But put everything away and just watch that movie, especially so you can see that scene. Because it's the definitive monster movie of all time. Alien is considered one of the definitive monster movies. They sold Alien by calling it Jaws in Space. Mm-hmm. So Jaws defined the single monster genre. And in that opening scene, you never see the monster. You don't see a fin. You don't see anything. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely terrifying. The I don't know who the actress was, but she, she crushed that. And the whole thing is utterly fantastic. And watch it with that music, and you will be able to see what John Williams is all
2: about.
0: Yeah. And I think if, if this is actually a a doable thing with any of anybody's favorite movie scene, Mm -hmm. if there's, I I would be willing to bet that anybody's favorite movie scene, go to YouTube, find that scene on YouTube Mm -hmm. or Netflix or whatever and watch it with the volume off. Mm -hmm. So if it's one of your favorite movies, you're a little familiar with what they're saying or doing or whatever, but the, um, I think the emotional, um involvement just completely changes at at that moment. So we'll put some links in the show notes at scottsigler.com slash podcast slash John Williams to famous movie scenes where the music is already stripped out. So you can go and get those scenes and sort of see what we're talking about
1: here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you got any
0: scenes picked out for that? Uh, Yeah. There's a Jurassic park one and a a force awakens one. And then a really great one from Rocky.
1: Oh, that's yes. Okay. And getting back to talking about emotions, storytelling is manipulating human emotions. That's what the purpose of, of storytelling is. As I'm a storyteller, I write novels and trying to write screenplays. And the goal of that story is to pull you in. I pull you in, not by logic, not by math. I don't pull you in, but I pull you in by emotions. And when it comes down to it, the storyteller's job is to screw with your emotions. And I often describe my gig when people ask me what my job is about I make people care deeply for someone who never existed. Mm -hmm. And John Williams is able to do that to contribute to that with the music.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so you were actually going to come back and talk about this. Is actually a great uh, mix of reality and yeah. and cinema cinema at, at large. You were saying at the top of this podcast that you saw Kobe Bryant in the audience and listed as one of the presenters for this John Williams yes. Life Achievement Award, yes. and you got a little snarky about oh ho, ho. oh I got
1: super I got super snarky. Number one, I'm a Pistons fan. Okay, so that's going way <laughs> way back. I got nothing but respect for Kobe Bryant's uh, skill and work ethic and his leadership ability uh but i'm like i have a personal beef when people take their fame And switch it over to another area and then get famous in area two, simply because they're famous in area one. For example, uh, you know, actors and actresses like now I'm going to write a thriller novel. I'm like, okay, that would have not even been published if you weren't Christopher Walken, for example. Right. 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 Or, um, crossing over to do a, an
0: album or something.
1: Something like that. And you know, as a former musician and a current writer, I'm like, you're taking shelf space away from people who've worked at music their whole life. You're taking publishing opportunities away from people who've been trying to do this their whole life. And it's not necessarily accurate. It's absolutely an emotional sure. short sighted response. So, you know, uh, it's like the only reason your book is published is because you were a famous actor or your daddy's famous, right? Like it's, it's shit like that. And that, that is just a, uh, something I'm trying to cope with, get to get cover not recover from, but kind of cope with that. This is an initial reaction. I have. So I see Kobe mm-hmm, and Kobe's here's all the famous people who've spent their whole life with their craft and movies. And the presenter is Kobe Bryant. I'm like, he's not in the movie business. What the fuck is this? And wasn't
0: that sort of right after? So at, at this actual award celebration, dinner evening thing, uh, John Williams was sitting right next to Steven Spielberg, who, uh-huh. who had just, so Steven Spielberg and John Williams has, have like a 46 year or 46 film long relationship yep. or something. And it was just like Steven Spielberg. And then he walks up and sits down right next to John Williams. And then the next guy is Kobe Bryant. And you're like apoplectic. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this? So
1: I thought, okay, Kobe's, I think this was made when Kobe, before Kobe retired in his last year. And I'm like, okay, well now, Mr. Addicted to Fame, here's me being a dick. Mr. Addicted to Fame now has to transition his fame while he's still famous for basketball over into something else. From the business side, I'm like, well done, sir. That's that's smart. From the other, the emotional asshole side, I'm like, this is bunk. This is a bunch of bunk. His <laughs> emotional
0: asshole, capital E, capital A. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Capital E, capital A. <laughs> then he gets up and he actually gets to present. I mean, we're talking. There are the everyone who is. Anyone who's had a long career in Hollywood is at this thing, paying respects, Mr. John mm-hmm. Williams. And then there's Kobe Bryant, who comes up and gets to present. And he, co- and he he actually refers to himself in third person as the Black Mamba. He does. During, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm just cringing. I'm like, he's all decked out. His toxic's looking great. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, can you just talk about yourself in third person at John Williams thing? And then he, then you understand why he's there. And this is where I am a total asshole. So they start talking about it. And when Kobe was doing his comeback, either I think it was it was from either an injury or his uh, indiscretion, he mm. wanted to kind of come back and.
0: It was an injury. I forget. So come yeah. back from his
1: injury. He wanted to find theme music that would get him pumped up. So he picked the Darth Vader theme to get introduced when he comes back in the court. And I'm like, okay, now I'm starting to think maybe I'm a little bit of an asshole because I would like to be introduced to the Darth Vader theme as well. <laughs> Fair. So I'm like, I'll okay. I'll make a note
0: for Sigler Fest next okay, year. Kobe.
1: Okay, Cobes, it's cool. Black Mamba, I got you. I feel that. And then Black Mamba TM. Then Black Mamba TM <laughs> takes the, like he's done so many times in his career, he puts the dagger, he hits the oh, dagger. And it was so great. And the dagger was, he's up on stage for all these people. And on a side note, he's an excellent Excellent presenter. He, he was really like is, really yeah. smooth. He says while he was doing his comeback and through his whole career, he has sought out people who are masters of their craft and gone and tried to spend time with them so that he can find any kernel of what it is that makes them the best at what they do to see if there's any way he can incorporate that into his canvas of what he does to be creative on a, as a team leader in the basketball court
0: yeah and any like, oh. sort of plug and play about the process that he yes. can he can he can co-opt even though that's not his skill set or his talent
1: yes he cuz he's and then you realize this is the reason he's there because he has a personal relationship with John Wayne. <laughs> because he so, sends him a so letter. That's my
0: favorite yep. part. He he literally listens to the, the, gets motivated by the Darth Vader theme song. He can't stop thinking about if, if this guy could create this thing. Right. And then writes him a letter on paper. Yeah. And then I awesome. get together and hang out because John Williams is like, sure. Come on over. Let's, let's
1: have a chat. That's yeah. my John Williams impression. <laughs> it sounds so much and like Jimmy just, Stewart. Let's, uh, no let's, let's, let's have a chat. And, <laughs> and Kobe. He's from Queens, but yeah. so, you know. Close enough. Okay. Close enough. So Kobe is trying to mine the brain of anyone who's an expert and highly accomplished that he can. So Kobe can continue to get better at what he does. And so then all I'm of like, a sudden, now, not only am I an asshole, now I'm like, that's a, I got to start doing that shit.
0: <laughs> that's shit. my favorite part. You were like, Ooh, Ooh, Ooh. Well, that's a pretty good that's idea. Pretty I'm good. For me. I think
1: I'm going to have to start. I'm gonna have to cop what you're doing. Mr. <laughs> Bryant, black mama TM. I have to do it now. Cause that's awesome. So that's why, that's my story. If I want to be an asshole watching the John Williams. Oh, uh, wow. special.
0: Well, yeah. Okay. So I'll switch it over. Talk a little bit about John Williams. This was one of my favorite things. Um, <clears throat> so he's clearly a legend in Hollywood. he, Probably could write his own ticket. I, mm-hmm. I don't think based on the very little bit of his personality that you can glean from an hour's worth of a show and a handful of interviews and his uh, music, um, he would ever do this. But I think he could literally go into, you know, Spielberg or Geffen or whatever and say like, hey, here's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I want somebody to write a movie about an orchestra. And the 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 orchestrating uh, conductor of the orchestra I, yeah. and whatever and build a whole semi autobiographical or whatever just so that he could make whatever music he wants to make. But I don't think he'd one he'd ever do that because he's this workaday guy. Yeah, it does he's seem this, like a workaday guy. Yeah, he's, I don't want to say he's blue collar, and clearly he's well aware of the opportunities that he has and the and the the, the the sort of the privileged life that he gets to glimpse into all these fun cool things and from the ground up and build build the Star Wars universe with. Spielberg and Mm -hmm. with Lucas and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Like that kind of idea, um, I, I think is not lost on him, but it it didn't go to his head really. Yes. Which was so, so I was so charmed to, um, to see that happen over and over again. He's the most Oscar nominated person on earth. And yet Uh every job is like, he, he says in the, in the, um, or something similar to this in the special, his first job was as an orchestrator for somebody else. And Mm -hmm. he just, didn't want to lose that job cause he really liked it and it paid okay. And like he wanted to do his best. And that was that. And it's like, now you're the like one of the most honored people in the business you work in
1: ever. Uh, he's got to be, he's the most honored, I believe the most honored composer. Oh, for sure. I yeah. mean, we're talking about, I thought about this one's watching this too. He is without a doubt, the most listened to and influential movie composer ever. Now there may mm-hmm. be people who are dominant early on, but at this point with, you know, seven and a half billion people in the world and like literally billions and billions of people have heard mm-hmm. his music, it's probably harder to find someone who hasn't heard his music than it is to find someone who has. He is, that's Beethoven. That's Tchaikovsky. He is a composer on the level of the all time, just because he's making for a movie yeah. doesn't change the fact that he is better known than all of these amazing classical well, and composers. There are,
0: there are a couple of, uh, of well Um, for for what I understand about them, but sort of well-toned, well-respected arguments just like that, Mm -hmm. that I, when I was preparing for this episode, after we watched that, I I looked up and all of those are actually not movie blogs, excuse me, but they're musician blogs. Okay. Saying exactly that as an, as an orchestrator, especially he's, he's John Philip Sousa. He's George Gershwin. Mm -hmm. As a, as a composer, he's Cole Porter, which is interesting because he's, he himself admits he's a music guy, not a lyrics guy, mm-hmm. or not a song, a song storytelling guy. Uh, so I find the Cole Porter um, comparison kind of interesting because, of course, Cole Porter was all about his words. But he's right; like he, Cole Porter could build momentum and everything else with words right. and the music behind it, and and maybe John Williams does the opposite.
1: This would be impossible to quantify, but you got to <laughs> think at this point in time, the most listened to musician in the world. It's probably, it's probably between him and the Beatles at this yeah, point. Yeah, I was thinking history, Paul
0: McCartney probably. Well, <laughs> as a single person,
1: yeah, yeah I guess, I guess he yeah. taught Paul McCartney's body of work with the Beatles. Though I mean, that's those two guys. And of course there's massive stars now, but there's not the same people who have been massive stars and touched the entire world for 40 years.
0: Right. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And I think that, <clears throat> that the other fascinating thing about this, at least for me, I I really appreciate a, a well told story, even if that's in song lyrics or in poetry, or in you know, in for me less le- like the music is hugely important. But I'm very uh, a liter- uh, a linear and word driven person. Okay, so I totally understand somebody moving you with song lyrics. Like I think Bruce Springsteen is a great big storyteller and I mm-hmm. love, love, love his music and I love the thread through his music and stuff like that. And when I was watching this and sort of preparing for this episode that we're talking about now, I thought John Williams for me is the only one I can think of that can build a story with no words, mm-hmm. which is kind of fascinating. It but then there's sort of, but, and then I thought I have friends who are really, really, we, we have friends. Uh, the goddamn dog sitter is a big, 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 big. Um, Danny Elfman fan. Okay. And that same thing, she that kind evoke emotion for them. And and every year that he does the whole Nightmare Before Christmas um, soundtrack at the Hollywood Bowl right before thanks or right before Halloween. Mm-hmm. And she goes every year because it moves her so much. That's nice. So obviously music, obviously music can move you. It's just for me this is the most literal of that. And, and I think because it's tied so tightly to the to the visuals.
1: And John Williams and, and Danny Elfman both, I believe they both. We know John Williams, he scores stuff on paper. He writes it down mm-hmm. and he does full orchestration and that's a huge expense for a movie. You got to be a big timer to be And Danny Elkman. I believe uses a full orchestra for everything too. And there's just something magical about a full orchestra that to me has not yet been captured in electronic music in the, in the space of watching it up on the screens. Now I wonder, I'm asking you this, uh, we'll I'll ask you this and we'll close this, close up shop on this. Is that because when I watched movies when I was a little kid, all the big time movies was the full orchestration, the full, you know, the full score. And yeah, while I was around when electronic music came out, people started to cut corners a little bit, like, oh, we can just score this with a keyboard. It'll be mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. And that's great stuff. It doesn't seem like the same. Is that because of my age or do you think there's a difference?
0: I do think that there's a difference. I think some of it might <clears throat> be age related and I th- I think this is the difference. And then your reaction may be a little bit Tempered by your age, I think the difference is when you do a full orchestra, even if you're recording separately in the same room, you get that big lush room noise that can't that that can't really be emulated mm-hmm. uh, digitally in that whole cloth eighty-piece orchestra way. You can have eighty digital pieces, but those are digital pieces that unless they were made in the same room are going to sound slightly different. And when you have 80 layers, that's how that's going to feel. So I think if that's the only orchestration you've ever heard, I'm not sure how much difference you'd get in the lushness of the ambient noise in the room or whatever. But I also think, and this is where the age thing comes in. I think if you are a digital, I'm totally talking out of my butt right now. But okay. I think if you're a digital producer and especially if you're doing that to save time and money, mm-hmm. you're probably not orchestrating 80 pieces. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and so possible. that that
0: might add to the to the lushness of the original sound because some of those mu- multiples of those pieces are violins and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. they're, you know, very slightly different in in resonance and sound and all that stuff. So maybe it's that and we're just more We've had more opportunity to hear it in a, especially if it's a Dolby theater, if it was a, if it was a surround sound theater back in the day, that Mm -hmm. also will have moved us because that would have been a much bigger, deeper, taller sound. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy has got orchestration and great orchestration, but also a ton of cover tunes or a ton of old songs. It's a a different feel. So to sum up, that is a, it's John Williams and literally a giant walking among us right now. You don't Mm -hmm. have to wait till he dies to go, holy cow, that was a great dude. Go to Wikipedia. Look up John Williams composer and just take a look at all of the great movies that he has scored. And I think you will be a little bit surprised that one guy is primarily responsible for all that stuff.
0: Yeah. And then one of the things that I love, since I don't think you have a things you didn't know about John Williams. I
1: have this. I I looked them up, but they weren't, they weren't very interesting to me. So Uh,
0: I have this, that I thought this one little, are you turning the tables on me? Is this Uh, things I,
1: I, things I might not
0: know about John Williams? No, I think this is things you probably know about John Williams. But I read this, which I found interesting. Uh, It was the intro to an interview and it Mm -hmm. said, Star Wars, period. And then like return, return. E.T., a couple of returns. Mm -hmm. Jaws. Mm -hmm. And then uh, E.T., Jaws, Indiana Jones, Superman, and Harry Potter. And then it asked, the first line of the article after that, asked how many of those I heard in my head. Mm -hmm. And except for Harry Potter, I heard all of them in my head when I read it. Mm -hmm. And I think, that is such an enormous legacy to do that. He writes great hooks. And he it's kind of, a, it is possibly, I mean, not for us right now, but for zillions of people, it's an anonymous legacy too, mm-hmm. which I find fat, well, fit, befitting him. Too. That's the difference
1: between him and, and Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney is well known. I, I saw some on the internet, like nobody under 30 knows who the hell he is, which is possible. But as far as people knowing he is, but John Williams is that he's like the the stealth fighter of music. You know all of his stuff even though you don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. And so his influence and in people knowing who he is, uh, yeah. no, people knowing his music and not knowing who he is, is is unquantifiable. Exactly. That's my so. word today, unquantifiable.
0: So yeah, it was totally worth a little bit of rabbit hole investigating John Williams. Yeah. You can find some snips, snippets of interviews and stuff like that on YouTube. He's, I think, a fascinating storyteller. Yes. So I think... That wraps it up for us. I hope you all enjoyed episode 32 of Story Smack. You can find Scott and myself online. Scott is at ScottSigler on Twitter and Instagram. And his Facebook page is Facebook.com slash Sigler. I am at ARealGirl on Twitter and at A.Real.Girl on Instagram. And you can find us at ScottSigler.com slash StorySmack. We would love to see your comments over there. You can find us on iTunes. Search for Scott Sigler Audiobooks and subscribe. You'll get a free audiobook episode every Sunday. So, FDO, yes. speaking of audiobooks, how goes the current audiobook?
1: It's going good. This week, we will post episode number 12 of Alone. That is book three of the Generations Trilogy. Uh, there's some serious ultraviolence going on right now. Uh, and we kind of cover the pros and cons of torture as a focal point mm-hmm. of the episodes.
0: So, if you are not listening to Alone already, go check that out. It's free and unabridged, and you can get the whole story starting back at episode one. That does it for episode 32 of Story Smack. Until our next episode, we will talk to you all real soon. soon.